はいはいそれは Hello and welcome too much Hello and welcome to BeyondPod or between you and me if I'm just going to start again Hello Hello too much Low it down Low it down hurt my ears and I'm sitting on the other side of the room Lower it down. Hello and welcome to Between You and Me, the Marillion podcast. Your microphone's becoming undressed. Excuse me, everyone. That's better. Decency first. <laughs> I don't want to see a nude mic in front of me. Especially not if it's Mike Hunter. <laughs> How to double ensure that he'll never talk to you. <laughs> I noticed on Lucy's Friday questions that people were asking, could they could, could they get a Mike Hunter interview for the Monday Ooh, Marillion? Oh, yeah, yeah. But she said he's too shy. Oh, no. He might at most do a written one for the web magazine. He might do a podcast because you can't see his face. So I that's like I, a step below shy. When you say shine. he might do a podcast. Yeah. Like, you know, if there was... A Marillion podcast or two out there. If only there was one. Mm. Yeah, we've been mentioned now on the Marillion forums. If only there there was a podcast okay. that didn't insult him, saying that they don't want to see him naked. But and, and put all the pressure on him for the next album. Okay, seeing Mike Hunter naked would be awkward for both of us. <laughs> this is how you start a Marillion podcast, folks. So, I'm Paul Rose, and I'm here with my dear wife, Sanya. We got mentioned on the Marillion forums, didn't we? Or we, we There's did? a thread about us, apparently. I have no idea. Yeah, I don't either, because they've deleted my account, and I'm waiting for admin <laughs> to approve my <laughs> new one. <laughs> I just I don't know what anyone said. I know, revenge. as it stands, according to our friend Richard, who I first knew as Shogs, which was his name on the Marillion forums, mostly positive, started by our good friend... Good friend. We've not met, but we love Mockillian. Uh, Stephen Wicks. Uh, and apparently, but there was one naysayer who doesn't like us. So to that person, all the best. Not so, all the best to all the nice ones. You just ignore them. You don't don't give attention to the positive. Of, but that goes without saying. Okay. What people didn't hear is the bit that I just cut out where I said something else to the naysayer <laughs> to then quickly readdress it I've just realised I'm sitting on a piece of packaging so oh. I'm going to remove it because otherwise it will rustle the whole time mm. so before we begin this week where we're going to be looking at the tracks on this strange engine our good friend Fraser Marshall's been in touch Ooh. And he blew my freaking mind. What did he say? Well, do you remember when we were talking about the Wishing Tree album? Yes. And Oh, you've been holding this in. Oh, I this have. is the thing you wanted to tell me the other day. I have. It blew then... my mind. Oh, go go on, go on. So, and I said on there that, that the song Nightwater had been worked up for the season's end album but H had found the lyrics a little bit too gothic right yeah and that's why he's credited with vocal melodies on the song blah 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 mm -hmm. well as Fraser said they did use it during the season's end era Night Water sounds more or less identical to the song Bell in the Sea what yeah 
I don't know how I've never noticed that before. Oh, now I need to listen to them both again. At least the guitar bit, anyway. Oh, I see. I'm assuming the lyrics have been changed. Yes. Oh, yeah. The song is different, but the the central sort of guitar riff. Oh, wow. Although, obviously, played acoustically on the wishing tree. Uh, So, yeah, there you go. Everyone else out there who's never noticed that, which is probably no one, you're all going, Oh, Paul, obviously. Uh, yeah, I'm gonna naysay you on the on the forum because everyone knew that. Oh, fact. now now who's bringing stuff up and not letting it go? <laughs> we got one naysayer. Rich did tell me he did send me a, the thing that they were complaining about. The naysayer yeah. is you. <laughs> I'm not surprised. Look, let's face it; they're gonna be complaining about me. It won't be no, you. No, not necessarily. It'll be me. I'll guarantee you. No, I I mean they might because well, I'm not I'm not a professional. I'm just like a regular person. Come back next week everyone and... where I get to kind of go to Sanya told you they don't like me. Um, <laughs> that's not true. Told you. You're so lovable. How could anyone <laughs> <like> you? <laughs> oh. <laughs> you never do anything to or say anything to upset anyone. No. Talk to which. Yes. We're going to be talking about this strange engine this week. Oh, God. <laughs> um, but before we do, mm. there is one more Marillion album to talk about. What? Why are you springing this on me? Yeah, it's fine. You don't have to worry about it. I nearly forgot this. Mm. The last, the very last release on EMI, barring kind of deluxe editions and remasters and stuff like that, the very last Marillion album to come out on EMI was another best of compilation. Another one. Yes, That's but a this lot. is this is very significant in the history of Marillion. So significant that you didn't even tell me about it before this very moment. I told you about it before we filmed, but I didn't tell you what it was that I said. There's something to mention. Oh, that was in the book. Don't mention that. I get my stuff from a book. But no, that's valid research. That's actually makes. Oh, it just reminded like proper, me. Proper like journalist and research. Yes, I I. I don't know why I've never consulted John Collins' separated out Marillion biography before. I don't know why I've never used it. Until... You have read it though. Yeah, so I've read the it. knowledge is in your. I've read head. it twice because uh, it came out in a new, updated version, and I'm in it twice. Let's just say, uh... <laughs> <laughs> I mentioned mean, it twice. <laughs> what are you mentioned? What are the references to you? When I won, who wants to be a millionaire? Oh, cool. Uh, and I think in relation to a Fish solo album review that I did. That's exciting. Yeah. Uh, I may be wrong about one of those, but they definitely mentioned Who Wants to Be a Millionaire. Anyway, so um, this compilation, way better than six and one, half a dozen of the other, which I think we discussed as having a slightly odd choice of I nearly said snacks then, tracks, with its weird mixing of Fish and H era. Now, this album marks the first time Lucy Jordash worked with Marillion. Really? Because she was working at EMI at the time. Yeah. Uh, and she volunteered. She said, oh, oh wow. I'm a bit of a fan, can I do that? Because they wanted to put out... A... So she wasn't together with Ian yet? God, no. Oh, okay. This is Lucy who... I believe grew up, uh, or at least at a younger age, had a poster of Steve Hogarth on her bedroom wall, Aww. which I've always thought that's got to be a bit awkward, isn't it? 
has gone a, bit, a little bit awkward. She's now married to his bandmate. Uh, anyway. <laughs> so, uh, yeah, so Lucy volunteered. So she she um, was responsible for choosing, I think, the selection of the tracks. I think in in consultation with both Marillion and Fish oh, separately. Right. Yeah. Uh, and Mark as well, because as we mentioned last week, this was around the time that that people were starting to kind of engage in on the internet mm-hmm. with regard to Marillion. So I think Mark Kelly posted on the Freaks list, oh, we're doing, an, oh, there's a new best of coming out. Why don't you email Lucy Jordash at EMI? Apparently she was inundated. Wow. But it made her think, ah, there's okay, there's a, there's a big audience out there that could be used. So, um, so the way it was done, bet the best of both worlds. Good mm. title, I think. Yeah, great title. Yeah. yeah. Um, it was two discs, and they kept the fish and H stuff separated. Which you would have preferred on the first best of album. Yeah, I think with the first best of album, there wasn't enough H era stuff yet. At that yeah, point. it was early for a best of, wasn't yeah, it? Yeah. So this feels like it. Uh, it it came at the right time, sort of end of an era, just before a new one begins. Um, additionally, it had two sets of cover art, one by Mark Wilkinson, and right. one by Bill Smith Studios, who had kind of done the design on the H-era albums up to that point. So the Mark Wilkinson cover had the drummer boy and the jester on it. Yeah. And weirdly, some sort of ghost rider version of a highwayman sort of standing in a whirlpool with the earth at the bottom of it. Mm. Uh, I never quite understood what the significance of that was. Maybe it's torch. Well, I did wonder if it meant to be torch. Didn't dress like a highwayman. It's got a highwayman's hat on. A a cockade hat. Well, torch Uh, might have gotten changed. Or is it a tricorn hat? One of those. Uh, And then the H era one is an eyeball with some drops of blood and the afraid of sunlight ring of fire behind it. Neither of the covers are great, frankly. I mean... But, yeah. Do you know what? In this case, I'll take the Mark Wilkinson one. Wow! Yeah, exactly. Wow, that bad, Exactly. So, the idea was you could, depending on where your loyalties were, you could uh, display either the the fish era cover or the H era one, you could flip it round. Ooh, which one did you have displayed, Mr Rose? Don't know. Didn't really like either. <laughs> I mean, the, the... You being diplomatic. Well, I, I don't remember. Diplomatic in a really backhanded way. Okay, firstly, did I display my CDs? No. <laughs> did, were they just in a pile? Yes. Did I care what was on the cover? Not really at that point. <laughs> All these music fans that listen to us, they'd be horrified by me. I know. Just this morning we had um, the Royal Albert Hall, um, what's it called? The programme. The programme arrive and it's so lovely. I finally ordered it years after the event. Yeah, it came in a beautiful cardboard envelope to protect it and everything. And we looked through it and it's like, oh... Really gorgeous. And then two minutes later, I just find it half falling off one of the sofas. I just want to read it. I want to read what's inside. Look at the pictures. That's all. (laughs) Might help if it stays in one piece. Yeah. Anyway, back to Best of Both Worlds. So the selection of tracks, do you want to know what they were? Yeah, I'd love to. There were 29 tracks, 14 Fish and 15 H era. So slightly favouring the H era there. 
a couple of weird choices on there, but generally I think it's a good summation of the two eras up to that point. So Fish Era 1 was script for Jester's Tear, uh, Market Square Heroes, He Knows You Know, Forgotten Sons, Garden Party, uh, the single version of Assassin. So there were a few single versions that had obviously truncated guitar solos and bits. Punch and Judy, Kaylee, single version, Lavender, the single version, Heart of Lothian, the single version, Incommunicado, the single version. Now, this is weird, this, right? What the single version of Warm Wet Circles, right? Mm. Which, which kind of comes to a nice natural end. And then that time of the night, which on the album, of course, Warm Wet Circles flows into. But it's, it's sort of done here as a standalone version. I don't know why they didn't just have them flow, flow like, on the album. Flow into each other. Anyway. Maybe it was about numbers because then it would have said 13 fish songs well they and... probably would have had to if they'd had the album version of one way circles they'd probably have had to have put hotel hobbies on there first oh i see which does again flow into one way circles where i suppose the single version just begins mm. uh and then lastly sugar mice mm. so on the h uh era disc uninvited guest okay send his face easter uh, weirdly, this was on a B-side, the meaty mix of Hooks in You, which is... Meaty? Yeah, it's called the meaty mix. It's it's much more keyboard heavy. Uh, weird choice, but mm. okay. Um, I suppose perhaps they thought, oh, it's a rarity, perhaps not everyone will have it, but, but it's not... I mean, it's all right, but the original's fine. It doesn't improve on the original, really. Uh, then the space, cover my eyes... No One Can, Dry Land, and Waiting to Happen, good choice. The Great Escape, the single version of Alone Again in the Lap of Luxury. Made Again, good choice. King, I'm Afraid, uh, followed by Afraid of Sunlight. I find that a bit odd, the Mm. placing of it. Um, Beautiful, a radio edit, and Cannibal Surf Babe. Okay, quite an interesting mix. Do you know what I would have done? I would have done Disc One Fish Era, Grendel, and then a couple of other little songs. <laughs> Sanya. <laughs> Disc no, two, you would have just put, the, you would have put Grendel and the whole whole of Misplaced Childhood on there. <laughs> yeah, if it Apart fit. Apart from Espresso, it espresso it Bongo. It wouldn't fit, no. It wouldn't <laughs> that fit. fit. That would have fit on a CD. The whole yeah. of well, and yes, Grendel. Misplaced is only, what, 42 minutes? Oh, that's true. Okay, Grendel. yeah, that, I would have done that. <laughs> And then, and you then, get 72 minutes on a CD. The H, what's the longest H era song up to this point? Oh, well, probably the This Down trilogy. No, what about on Brave? The um, oh, goodbye that to big all long, that. Yeah, okay, okay. I'd put goodbye to all that sweet 10 minutes, nine minutes, nine minutes. Oh, we need to bulk it out. You're not going to find a long song until this strange engine. But this strange engine wasn't out, out yet. yet. And mm. it wasn't on EMI. Okay, I'd have to think about it, but... Anyway, it's not really what we're here to talk about. No, I it's just not. thought I should mention it. Apparently, though, the best of sold better than expected. Oh, that's good. Yeah, I couldn't find what chart position it got, but apparently did all right. So, on to this strange engine. Here we go. The meaty mix of the episode. That's a terrible intro. Choo-choo, all it... aboard. <laughs> Everybody get on board. <laughs> this strange podcast. Oh god, someone's got to do Thomas the Strange Engine. <laughs> oh my god, yeah, they sh- they so should. Oh man. Anyway, just he's just us. he just like mopes around. Oh, 
So, um, so Marillion, as we've established, yes, produced this album themselves, primarily to save money. Mm-hmm. Um, so it was their first time of producing themselves. Got Dave Megan in to uh, mix it, but but although it was ostensibly about money, apparently part of the reason why Marillion produced this album themselves and were heavily involved at the desk for the next two is because they felt that they'd brought Dave Megan in too early and he had too much influence over the writing. I see. So they wanted to bring a producer in later. That was the plan. Oh. Um, Because... Oh, interesting. Certainly, I know Dave Megan's involvement in Marbles... Mm-hmm. May have rubbed one or more band members up the wrong way. Yes, <laughs> so I've heard he, about that. He was a man who had a lot of ideas and influences over those or that album. But in your opinion, it was positive. It had a positive effect on the music. Yeah, three out of four Dave Megan albums I really like. Mm, yeah, three out of four. Uh huh. Okay, we'll leave that as Everyone try and guess what the fourth one is. We'll leave that as a mystery. (laughs) It's not a mystery. Um, This was also the the last album with John Arneson as manager. Okay, so he was still with them. At this point, but they were starting to get disillusioned. Not only were they not feeling supported by Castle, Mm -hmm. the the label. Who were going under. Yeah, but also um, John Arneson was, was around this time, I think, managing the band Aswad. And he was spending more and more time on Aswad and dedicating less time to Marillion. So, onto this strange engine. 58 minutes long. First track, Man of a Thousand Faces, with lyrics by John Helmer. Sanya. Ah. Lyrics by John Helmer. Interesting. What do you think it's about okay. and do you like it? Yeah, Man of a Thousand Faces, I think, is a real strong start to the album. I do like it mm-hmm. a lot. It's not like one of my top, top, top Marillion songs, but it is in the higher tiers. So top, you're in your top 100? <laughs> no, it's like in the top, probably the top 20. Wow, okay. So you started saying that by not sounding terribly enthusiastic and then find out it's top 20. Well, okay, I haven't counted, but yeah, it's one of, okay, it's not one of my like highest, highest favourites, but it is in the upper echelons of I would say if it's in your top 20 out of 200 odd songs or whatever they've done, I'd have said that's in your higher epic. Okay, fine, okay, all right. (laughs) So, I'm surprised that you said it was a John Helmer lyric because there's at least one line in there that I thought was so H. Which one? Um, Cut me a piece of my divided soul. Because you know how he's got, he often has themes of having two people inside ah, him or two parts to him, yeah. two sides to him, these well, contrasts. I guess, I guess this is why H picked out this lyric and went, I can sing that. Yeah. I guess so. Mm. Yeah. Um, I'm guessing the song is about Joseph Campbell's hero of a thousand faces bang on so it's like about the unified myth i'm going to paraphrase this so it might not be accurate um it's about i think it's called the unified myth and how every culture's myths and legends seem to have a common theme that threads throughout all around the world and all through time so even myths from thousands of years ago often have common themes to ones that are more recent. Mm. 
and then I was thinking, like, I'm wondering if it, if they're, what they're trying to say is in this song, if what they're trying to say is how through their music and their lyrics, they also are kind of connecting to this unified myth. So how, like, the singer perhaps represents the he- the hero of the thousand faces like the hero in a story that leaves his hometown town goes on a journey changes discovers things and comes back and brings that wisdom back to their community and i was just wondering if like maybe they felt that they were on that journey as well with their travels around the world and sort of connecting different cultures through their music con- connecting different people does that all make sense yeah, no, I get what you're saying. Um, it's weird, this song. Mm. Uh, I, as you say, I, it's a really strong start to the album. I, I, it surprised me when I first heard it because Marillion albums tend to have that slow beginning. This mm. just kind of kicks in with that acoustic guitar. Yeah. So it surprised me. Um, what doubly surprised me is is how sort of emotionally affecting the song is mm. despite frankly lyrically being a load of old bollocks well <laughs> okay. it is i'm no, sorry it's I... so it's we're in i'm gonna say it, we're in wishing tree lyric territory here yeah i don't know because i think this okay overall this whole album i, I wanted to start before we got into the songs i did want to just start with a little my own perspective of the whole album. Well, yes, because there's a theme running through it. Once again, yeah. like Afraid of Sunlight. Right. It felt a bit with me because I think I, I read the press release because I was working at Teletext and I got a copy of the album with the press release. Mm. And the press release was quite wanky. Mm, you know, right. talking about, I don't know, Jungian consciousness and I don't know. It was like, you know, and, and memory and themes of, of you know, whatever. Yeah. It, and, but... Then listening to the album because I thought, oh, okay, sounds quite proggy. Mm. Um, and then listening to the album, it was like, well, it's not really, is it? It's not really proggy at all until the end. And then so it feels like they're trying to have their cake and eat it. Because as well, the other thing that was going on at this time mm. was Marillion were really running scared of the prog label. They were very down on prog. Were they? Yeah. Oh, that explains a lot. And I think it was, um, there was a quote, I don't know whether it was... Oh, that explains so much. I don't know whether it was this album or the next one, Radiation, Mm. which is probably even less prog than this one. Um, On Radiation, I think it was an H quote. It might have been in John Collins' uh, separated out book that I read it, where H said, prog was your label, not ours. Like, mate, mate, you're you're in Marillion. Literally, you're a band that had a 20-minute long song about a monster. You're in Marillion. You're, you're, okay, your predecessor. Listening, Paul's eyeballs look like they're about to pop yeah. out right now. Your your predecessor used to wear face paint and and helmets and rip up rubber plants on stage. H, you did a seventy minute long concept album yourself. I think. I think. I think. I think you have been bathing in the prog pool for some time now. Right. So when I talked last week about how I started to feel disillusioned mm. by Marillion, mm-hmm. quotes like that didn't help. 
they did not yeah, help. Yeah, I can hear the passion yeah. rising up out of you now. Yeah, you know, and again, it is. Sorry, here's the thing as well. I'm jumping all over the but place this- here. We're meant to be talking about uh, Man of a Thousand Faces, but it, we it, will it links. We will get to it. It links. Because yeah. I thought I'd got everything out of my system last week. I can see you haven't. And I haven't. I haven't because it's just bringing up once again stuff from the time where I never raged about it. But all those sort of comments coupled to the kind of music that's on this album felt like a slap in the face. In what way? Because it's like I I embraced this band because of how they sounded mm-hmm. and because of the kind of music they made. And suddenly they're kind of going, yeah, we're not like that. And on top of that, H would say stuff that sounded like, what are you talking about? We've never been like that. We're not a prog band. And, and you were like, oh, but you just made Brave a yeah, albums ago. Yeah. And what you, you know, I, I get that they were in a difficult position, that they were not selling as well as they did. Mm. But at this point in their history, what they did is they tried to appeal to people beyond their audience rather than trying to make their audience happy. Mm-hmm. But what really happened on this strange engine with things like it, you know, oh, it's it's got a theme, but it's not a concept album. You know, oh, it's not prog. Oh, but here's a 16 minute long song. It felt like they were trying to have their cake and eat it. Right. And so, so, so it's like, it's not sort of on the surface, they were saying it's not prog. It's not a concept album, but underneath it really was Ish. a lot of well yeah but it kind of makes a lot i understand now how afraid of sunlight was a lot like i get their choices now to bring in those themes of celebrity and big rock stars mm. and have different sounds pulled in from them and i the first time i listened to this strange engine i experienced it as afraid of sunlight part two well but hang on hang on but as I continued listening, I realised something had changed and something had changed massively from even the solo albums. I'm speaking specifically about H's solo album, where Afraid of Sunlight had such raw emotional personal elements. So did Ice Cream Genius. And here we've kind of, it's like the ink has spread and everything's kind of floated up to the surface. It's not as personal and deep no. and interesting by the way you sort of said about it being afraid of sunlight part two because dave megan when he came to mix it he said oh i kind of knew what to do because to me this is just side two of afraid of sunlight oh, anyway wow. okay. but yeah and this is why it's really the other reason why i think i struggle with this album is because it feels like h has retreated yes but it's like he's done this ever since ice cream genius yeah what do you mean, done this ever since then? Well, Ice Cream Genius, he wasn't retreating. No, but it's almost I like, know it, that's a, it's almost like he's kind of overshared. Yeah, and, and he's gone, like, oh, oh, let's oh just too talk, much, pull it oh, back. Let's talk about Joseph Campbell. Yeah. Um, I mean, that said, a song like the title track on this is incredibly that's personal. Different, but yeah. we'll get to that. But I find, anyway, back to Man of a Thousand Faces, I find it weird. I love this song. I'm saying it now. It's it's again one of my one of my uh, lower tier Marillion favourites in my top twenty. Uh, <laughs> no, I just wanted to say it's not like one of my yes, most, it's not most, your top five favourite, but I do like it. I like it. It's a good song. It's okay. a great song. Um, like I don't want I don't want anyone to think I don't like it. I love it. Okay, 
So, um, and live, it's a contender for my favourite Marillion live song to hear or to hear it live. I love oh, it. Yeah. That ending is like transcendent yeah, live. It absolutely. just builds and builds and it's beautiful. Yeah, the so, ending is, and the way that it kind of dips uh, at about oh, was four minutes 53, it yeah. kind of the dips moon. and gets quieter. And then it builds the up. <laughs> the moon. Wait till you've got it out of your system. I'm done, sorry. <laughs> yeah, and then it just builds up again. Mm. Oh, love it. Can I just say one funny thing? Um, you know the line, I speak to machines with the voice of humanity. I was like, oh, I wonder if that's kind of symbolic of the singer speaking, like recording their oh, voice on a machine. Maybe. So it's know. like encasing that universal myth mm. into a machine. Yeah, maybe. But, well, do you, look, do you want me to read you a quote from H about what he says it's about? Yeah. Or what he... Wait, just before we do... We're really like, jumping all over the place with this song. I know, I'm sorry. I'm sorry, everyone, for jumping all over the place. But just before we do, in case I forget it, um, I wanted to respond to you saying how you th- like it even though you think it's a bunch of guff. I can't I, I said, my word was bollocks, but oh, yeah. Okay. <laughs> um, and I, I, I was wondering about that because I know it's not like strictly personal, personal, but I think it actually is. It is about H and the band's personal experience of traveling the world. Well, not and according to that... H, it isn't. Oh, okay. Right. This is just your Then theory. just tell me. Yeah, because I was just thinking just... there is something that we can all connect to all right. with this song. What H is saying, he's saying that John Helmer is talking about man's need to function on a tribal or mystical level and how that's a psychological need as well as a spiritual need. The song takes in conspiracy theories, masonry, secret societies, all the way from the Holy Grail and the Knights Templar to some of the conspiracy theories that still go on around in the modern age. Thank you or not. Yeah. And the need in all cultures, in all parts of the world and at different times to worship similar symbols and how similar gods keep on turning up. So it's quite a heavy book. It addresses heroism, really, and the need for a hero in every culture and society. That's what this one's about. Right. So here's the thing. I, okay, so I was you know, way off. You were way off, but I don't blame you because it, it it's a tangled puzzle of words that feel, like I said about the Wishing Trees lyrics, mm. it feels a little bit like the sort of lyrics that people think Marillion write. However... What saves this song is a beautiful vocal performance from H, gorgeous musicianship, just great songwriting. Absolutely. Yeah, you know, I, I think it's. I'm going to say it. Here we go. I think it's my favourite song on the album. Is it? Yeah. Hmm. And it's I, the. Yeah, opener. I, do you know what? I think it might be mine as well. Yeah. Oh, okay. Let's move on. Look, it's a great <laughs> yeah, song. Yeah, no, no, no. It is. It's definitely live. It's my favourite. It's 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 in my top five million live but, songs. Um, yeah. Oh, that's... Your reading about what it's about has thrown me off because usually if a song is that remotely impersonal in, in its lyrics, I just can't care about it. Mm. Um, and, yet, and yet somehow this was, bucks that. I did manage to pull personal meaning from those lyrics yeah. though so well, well wait until you see the video i should have shown you that oh dang it's yeah terrible. is it's it terrible it's like uh early cgi 
I'm going to see this now. <laughs> it's really ropey. Good to see this. It's really ropey. All right, track two. Another Helmer lyric. <sighs> One fine day. Oh, yeah. You want to talk about this? Yeah. Um. Again, it's all right. I mean, okay, all of the songs on the album are okay. At, at the lowest, at their lowest, they're okay. And some of them are quite good or great. Like Man of a Thousand Faces. This one is is a nice song. It's it's very nineties, nineties ballad. It kind of really? reminded me. It kind of yeah. It's kind of bluesy. Okay, this is weird. It kind of reminded. Well, it's because it kind of reminded me of Senza Donna by um, oh. Tsukuro and what? I always thought it oh, sounded more like he sings with blue a bluesy it is a thing bit... with with Beatles strings in it. But Tsukuro is a bit bluesy. Okay. Um, who was he with? Paul. Who did he sing it with? Paul Young. Paul Young. Um, yeah, so that's why it it felt 90s to me. And also, like, felt a bit sting-like in the beginning. Okay. Again. Uh, yeah, it's all right. I mean, what, what I thought it was about, um, kind of what it says it's about, like, it sounds like, Someone's reached a state of disillusionment with the world. Waiting whereas, for one fine day. What a yeah. downer. <laughs> Everything's screwed. Yeah, whereas we're like, you know, to get better. they were a bit more um, idealistic in their youth and now they're kind of like, hmm, who Here's the thing, right? We're at a stage now where I'm invested in H and his journey. Yes, me too. And Especially I, after Afraid of Sunlight. Yeah. And Ice Cream Genius. And Ice Cream Genius. And no offence to John Helmer, who has written some great lyrics, I'm not as interested. You know, I want to hear the story of the guy that's singing these songs, mm-hmm. not John Helmer. Mm-hmm. And One Fine Day, it plods, it's got the bluesy thing, it's a bit mopey and a bit... It's all right, it's quite pretty. In it's, places. Yeah, it's pretty. Uh, it's got, a, you know, rather solo-y thing in it. It's not but a bad song. I, I, yeah, and this is going to be how I feel about other songs on this album. Is It's just a bit boring. It's fine. Yeah, it's fine. It's just a bit dull. And I don't really care what, what, what's being sung about. Yeah. I don't care. Exactly. You know, it's, it's okay. So what, you've given up hope on waiting for one fine day or things to get better. Wow, cheers. <laughs> I yeah. don't. And I'm going to, you know, I really hoped that getting stuff out of my system last week would have made me feel more positive about the album. And the oh, truth is, it hasn't. You've been holding it in for 24 years. You've got a while to go yet before yeah. the champagne cork has... The champagne cork? The champagne has subsided. The yes, bubbles. Yeah. <laughs> so one fine day. It's, it's a bl- fine. It's a bluesy. It's and this is the thing with this album, and I. It's the first Marillion album that I find boring. What? I swear. Before we got started with looking at this album, you were speaking well of it. You're throwing me completely off now. I think it's boring as an album as a whole, and One Fine Day might be its most boring song. It's it might it's contender because it's so inoffensive 
and it might be one of the most boring Marillion songs of all time. Wow. So dull. Okay. I can't even, this is the thing, I can't even bring myself to say much about and it. And yet we're still talking about it. It's, I think it, we've said enough. Yeah. Yeah, we've done enough damage with it. 80 Days, a Steve Hogarth lyric. Well, hey, uh, finally, first one on the album. Uh, also a single. A song, okay. according to him, that, that, so that he wrote for me. the fans. Oh, Okay. Which um, I've never quite understood because it seems to be him complaining about being on tour. That's not how I. That's a no. That's not how I read it at all. Oh. Okay. So, well, this is why I'm surprised that because I I said I thought that I could hear a link between this and a man of a thousand faces, and then fast forwarding way into the future to the levers, where it's about him travelling around the world like great, touring, great theory right? but we've already disproven Wait. it with the man of a thousand yeah, okay. faces meaning I know I know that's why I was surprised <laughs> that that they weren't written by the same person I'll just connect it with the levers in with the line that says what kind of a man can live this way I can't help it um, I'm seeing a theme of him loving touring and going why do I love being away from home and travelling the world that's on some level, even though, of course, you love being with your family. Of course, you love being at home. But there's also part of you that loves traveling and seeing the world. Um, I I didn't like the song when I first heard it. <laughs> why, why I don't know why. But why then did the, you say that in such a sort of cons- conspiratorial whisper? Yeah, because I was quite surprised. But then the more I listened to it, I mean, this, this song has been stuck in my head. So much the last few days. Um, the more I listen to it, the more it grew on me. And I really love, like, even the music gives you a sense of movement. Like, I think it, it, it's, it would be a great song to listen to if you're sitting on a coach or in a car while you're travelling and seeing the world go by. Okay. Oh, okay, fine. Yeah, I don't like it. You don't like it? I'm trying to be honest. It's boring. Really? It's Okay, uh, there's a few reasons. Why? Oh God, where do I begin? It's it's fine and again utterly inoffensive. Also boring. And it sounds like Marillion trying to sound like Crowded House. Oh, a, this a, was the Crowded House. Yeah, a kind of I always Everywhere I go, I always take the weather. Everywhere I go. All around the world in Haiti. Oh, days. I see. Yeah. Okay. Um, sorry about that, everyone. That singing that was awful. <laughs> Normally, I sing so much better. <sighs> okay, it starts with this: the cheesy sentiment, the looking down at the faces in the crowd, and how many people can you love? And the only, you know, which I find it all a bit too twee. The bits that I don't mind so much. But when it talks about black and blue with bruises from collisions on the road and and the friction grind of travelling, where that all seems to be alluding to how tough it is being on the road. And then the line mm. about what kind of a man could live this way. Uh, I just want to be myself with you. So like he's having to be someone else. The, uh, the, I, I, I lose some of me in all these places and I can't help the way I've changed. Really? Oh, okay. Uh, this got, is a song for the so fans. This is a so song wrong. for the fans. This is H talking about once again oh. about how being in a band takes or, or diminishes him, and yet it's been held up as this song that, by many times H has said that it's a song 
for the fans and you know a song about our, our close relationship with our fans but actually then it seems to go into about how 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 much it's cost H personally that's when it's interesting mm. and yet it's set to this sort of chirpy upbeat kind upbeat, of thing not all that interesting acoustic sort of shuffly thing with a horrible horrible synth trumpet solo I like that I love the trumpet. I love that. Synth trumpet solo all day long, please. Um, I was going to ask you, because I didn't, I didn't quite understand what he meant when he said, right now all I want to do is get real, if that's all right with you. Well, yeah, because he's then, having to put on the mask for... That makes sense. For, for his, his show face. Keep that, that on for the fans. Maybe put on the mask pretending he's not prog, but really, <laughs> but yeah. really he is. It's an. I'm sorry. It's another song that I don't love on this album. It started really high and then hit the miserable bloody one fine day, and then into this. Which another thing about eighty days, I always thought it would benefit from being about three minutes, and it's not. It goes on too long. It's over five minutes long, and it's too long for a song like this that doesn't really do anything different apart from the bloody synth trumpet solo. Why are you pulling your head up like that? I beg your pardon. Listeners, Paul is sitting there with his hands at his temples, stretching the temples upward. Are you trying to detension? Yes. Detension? De-stress your brain from this song. Can I get your detention, please? (laughs) So I'm really sorry. I don't like it. And And there I was feeling bad because at first I didn't like it. But I don't, it, no, it here's did the thing. Grow on me. I don't it did grow on me. It's not that I don't like it. I don't have a massive opinion about it one way or another. It's just a mm. nothing song. Let's talk about Estonia, a song that when I asked uh people on twitter and facebook go find us on there bian pod uh when i asked people what their favorite track was other than the title track this one pretty much came out on top what a shame i've never liked it you've never liked it no this is a car crash this episode <laughs> i don't like it no you seem like you've you've been in a car crash listening to the album. I don't. It's boring. I love it. Do you? Okay, I know it might sound weird because I'd always have to re-listen to it. I'd look at the whole album and I'd be like, which song should I listen to first? If I wasn't in the mood for listening to everything in order. And I'd think, I can't remember how Estonia goes. I have to listen to it. Well, Maybe what does it's because I listened you? to it. You can't so even many... remember how the song goes. I, I remember it now. It just took a few goes until it it got bedded in. But do you know what made me love it even more was looking at the lyrics and sort of seeing seeing what it's about. Well, do you know exactly what it's about? I don't about? know exactly what it's about, but it seems to it seems to be connecting again with the theme of leaving your loved ones behind and carrying them with you when they leave or when you leave. Um, So it seems like it might be about grief, 
And whether that's grieving because someone's passed away or grieving because they're not with you or you're not with them. And I, I got that from lyrics like, and the salt water runs through your veins and your bones telling you, no, not this way, not this way, not this way. And you would give up anything, give up everything, offer your lifeblood away for yesterday. You're looking at me, so I'm really in this way that I'm thinking that I'm completely off the mark. What? I'm just looking at you. No one, no <laughs> one leaves. And then when, also, you. like when he says, no one leaves Paranoid. you when you live in their heart and mind, and no one dies, they just move to the other side. I just thought that's so beautiful, you know, like, I just, I find it really beautiful, really touching. I don't know why I wrote this, but I thought it would have fit in well on Brave. And and even aside from the lyrics, it's like the background sounds, like the tingles and all the layered sounds and the sonic texture. I just think it's beautiful. Why do you think it's called Estonia? But, hang on. No. Because you're going to love this. As I was listening to it, I'm not kidding you. This is the thought that came into my head. Oh, so far, every song in this album would work really well live. Mm. Which I imagine this would work well. Oh, you've heard it live because they play it live a lot. But now that I feel more connected to it, I think I'd enjoy it even more. Mm. Well, before I talk about what it's about... Mm. It's a death and water song, by the way, and and inspired by a true story, oh. just as Out of This World was. Oh. That's why it's called Estonia. It's not just, he didn't just pluck a place out of thin air and decided to name a song after it. Um, I should probably try and quantify why I, I find it boring. Yes. There's a, there's bits of it I like because it's that, the, the opening sort of guitar... Mm. Is very atmospheric, and I think it's meant to evoke water, a la Ocean Cloud, um, which, you know, they, they certainly borrowed from some of this song for Ocean Cloud later on. I think it's too long as a song. It, I like... It's, it is pretty in places. I, I feel really uncomfortable saying that I don't like this, partly because of what it's about. And partly because I know so many people love it, and I know that it means it's a song that means quite a lot to a lot of people. Um, because yes, it is about grief. I'll tell you what it's about before I elaborate on that. Okay. So, it was inspired by a chance meeting that H had on a plane with a guy called Paul Barney, who was the only British survivor of the Estonia ferry disaster. Um, in 1994, which killed 852 people when it sank. Um, I mean, it's a huge news story over here. Uh, And the the ferry, if I remember, sort of fell on its side and people were trapped underwater. Oh, no. So it was awful. So, So it was partly inspired by that and it was partly inspired by someone H knew who I think had lost their father and he wanted to write a song about Oh, a song that was meant to comfort her. Mm-hmm. So it kind of, as well as being a song about, you know, the then when it talks about oh, what's what was the line you said? Not this way, not this way. It's mm-hmm. about yeah, that yeah. I think is all evoking trying to get out of the 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 capsized ship. And, uh, and, oh, now I understand. And the salt water runs through your veins and your bones. Yeah, I thought that was tears. 
Yeah, I think it's more literal than that. But it, so it was trying to evoke all that along with the a, a general song about no one leaves you when they yeah. when they die. If you carry them in your heart and your mind, they're always yeah. with you. Which is a lovely sentiment, but I find it really slightly gratingly simplistic. It's the sort of thing you tell a kid when they've lost someone. Frankly, anyone who has been through grief, and I'm trying not to get choked up talking about this, uh, because it's, and I'll tell you why, because it's this week was the anniversary of my niece dying. Um, and anyone who has really, really suffered grief, it's lovely to hear words like that. Oh, then they're still here. They're still with you. They'll always be with you. But the truth is there's still a hole in you. There's still massive loss. And I think no matter, no, no amount of words can, can heal that. Oh no, I've made Sanya cry. <laughs> um, uh, and I think speaking to someone who has had loss in his life, I suppose there's something about this song that sort of slightly winds me up. Yeah. I mean, I guess it's probably not a song you want to listen to when you're in the middle of grief. No. When you're like in the middle of grieving. But sort of being a long, long way away from it, it it's a nicer sentiment. Like when you're not, it's stuck a lovely. In that. Yeah, it's a lovely idea, mm. but and this is a really personal reaction to it. Mm. It's not how I have experienced grief. That that someone who's passed is still with me. That's not how I experience it. So it's a, my personal reaction. And so, you know, yeah, okay. If someone is comforted by the idea that the spirit of someone that you've lost is still around in some way, whether it's in things they leave behind or, you know, some sort of more metaphysical presence. Okay, that's great. But for me, I find it's, it's, I, I find the, the sentiment in this song very, it's route one, as they, as we call it in writing, where you go with the most obvious path. And it's the most obvious sentiment. Oh, well, they're still here. Don't worry, they're still here. Well, yeah, um, as I say, yeah. that's not that's I mean, not that's how, not I, how I don't experience it as him saying, Don't worry, they're still here. It's more it's more sort of going, they're living on in your memories, in your thoughts. Yeah, but even that, I'm sorry, it's it's I know, it's not it's, if you're in the middle of really raw emotion, that's not gonna help you. But but sometimes memories hurt. Or if it's a really trad, Yeah, that's true. But you know, sometimes they don't. So I guess it just depends. And I suppose, you know, I've never... I've never felt emotionally connected to this song. Mm. Which I find strange given what it's about. And I find it even more strange because H is normally so good about... Or good with, with writing lyrics and singing in a way that the emotion connects with me. And yet I never have with this song. I've never felt moved by it, even though I know what it's about. And that's not by any means to diminish the awful disaster that inspired it. Um, 
But it comes back to something that you and I talked about very early on in this podcast about writing things that aren't from personal experience. Mm, that that so, can be tricky. Yeah. And I think this is an example where H is, okay, yes, it's inspired by a true story. Yeah, that's not to say writers can't write about things that they haven't experienced directly. But I don't know. The song just doesn't work for me. It doesn't. And I, I know loads of people love it and I feel bad about that. But it doesn't work on various levels. And one of those most fundamentally is I just find it boring. I find it a dull song. And I get that it's got a lot of sort of classic Marillion sound in there, and so I don't know yeah, why. Yeah, I mean, I yeah, love, I don't know love why I find it sound, it. I sound, think it's got sound really yeah. textured sound. I don't know why I don't don't much like it, mm. but again, I don't dislike it. It's just mm. like with the two songs preceding it, just a bit nothing for me. Um, and why I'd say it's one of my favourites on the album. It's certainly probably my. Th- mm. It's not my least favourite on the album. Um, I don't know. I, 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 yeah, and I don't think they're his best lyrics. So I've said it. I don't think they're great lyrics. I don't think they're lyrics that necessarily, as he has told us, work on multiple layers. I think it's it's a really, really obvious, slightly predictable set of lyrics about grief that are also about the Estonia disaster. And if anyone listening to this is is offended by what I'm saying, I'm really sorry. And I if it's worked for you as a song, as a song that's comforted you or or moved you or whatever, then I'm happy for you. It just doesn't for me. And as I say, I've I've got my own personal experience of grief that I I'm not comforted by those words. Should we move on? Yes. <laughs> it got a bit uh, heavy. Memory of Water. Again, I think it's a lovely little song. It's not particularly memorable to me. It's not one that stands out massively even though it sounds completely different to anything they I that I can think of anything they've done before I love H's voice in it I think it's a beautiful sounding song I see it's more an atmospheric in, and in yeah. its stripped back way I see it more as an interlude than a song it's a good interlude like. yeah yeah I agree I mean it sounds like again it's about something that happened to someone else well it's a Helmer lyric oh okay yeah, it didn't feel very personal. It sounded like it was about someone who drowned after attempting to hang themselves or something like that. And the water keeps this memory of that incident. Or like how places can keep the energy of events that occur in them and the memory of events that have occurred in them. But I that don't doesn't like well, it doesn't really affect me on a personal level. I'm just like yeah, whatever. Okay, it's I think the lyrics are very wishing tree. Take that as you will. Uh, l- musically, it kind of reminded me of bits of of Ice Cream Genius. It's almost, musically, it's yeah, gorgeous. It, it's sort of like a mashup between Ice Cream Genius and the first Wishing Tree album. Mm. Uh, apparently, it was written as a a, um, a kind of mix of H. H started it, 
and then I think Mark rearranged it, then H rearranged it again, and then Mark did another pass on it. So it became this sort of weird mashup of the two of them kind of passing it to the other to do some stuff to it. So, um, yeah, I mean, it's not a song I'd kind of seek out to listen to in its own right. Yeah, I don't, yeah, I don't think I would. I mean, I don't dislike it, but it's not one that I'd go looking for. So Fraser Marshall, our good friend, uh, apparently interviewed John Helmer for the Web UK in 2012. This is taken from his uh, website, Meridian Explanations of Song Elements. And apparently Fraser suggested to John that the key to the song was Arthurian references. And Helmer replied, no, it was the, oh, that was the Joseph Campbell stuff, but also homeopathy, which I don't necessarily believe in. But I was interested in the idea that water might have a memory because I think that water might have, what the hell? This, this is a weird quote. Okay. Fraser, you're, you might want to check this on the website because I've just cut and pasted it into my notes. <laughs> uh, so it's, I'll just read it. I'll read it vertebrae. Um, but I was interested in the idea that water might have a memory because I think that water might have a memory because I think that water tends to play very heavily in our lives. It's a very primal thing, water. We were born out of water and I have lots of memories of swimming in the water where I grew up and lots more personal things. There's a song about remembering having a bath. Or a shower. Or a shower, yeah. Going on the slip and slide. Yeah, splashing around. Splashing around in puddles. They should have called this song Splash Mad. (laughs) (laughs) I'm Splash Mad, I am. (laughs) Let's just move on. (laughs) Uh, Seek out the memory of water big beat mix, if you can. It's on YouTube. Um, Oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah, which was on a... What was it on? I can't remember. Was it a bonus track on something? It's interesting. So the next track, uh, one that was written for Afraid of Sunlight, An Accidental Man, which is a Hogarth Helmer lyric. So they both had a bit of input into this. What have you got to say about it, Sonia? I've got to say, on first listen, I thought I'd guessed what the song was about. And I thought that it was that whoever wrote it, they were considered a man just because they were born into a male body, but they'd never felt that they fit the masculine stereotype particularly well. But then I looked at the lyrics and things, lyrics like, I was taught from much too young to never give myself away, or you ask me how I'm feeling, I only wish I knew how hard it is for me to share those kind of things with you. Or it's not that I don't love you, it's just I can't connect because I was taught from much too young to shine and not reflect. So try to understand if I don't say all I can, a stranger to myself, I'm an accidental man. They make it seem that it's more about not being able to share what's going on for you on the inside. Not so much about not being stereotypically masculine, but not being able to be, live true to yourself. I think it's a song that's about and I don't know how much of this was H and how much of it was Helmer, because mm. I think it, it it's certainly a song that H has very much made the lyric his own. A song about being born, effectively, into the wrong time, the wrong gender, and having being kind of somebody who's sensitive and has lots of feelings and stuff, but not being able to share them because that ain't what blokes do. Right. So, um, and yeah. having to keep all that bottled up. Yeah. Not sharing your feelings because you're seen as weak if you do. Because he's saying things like, you ask me if I'm happy, I only wish I knew, 
because happiness is not something that I ever learned to do. Mm. So how I can't be happy living with these stereotypes. Yeah. It's kind of like I can't fit into the stereotypes of my gender. I'm not, not necessarily on a physical level, but like on an emotional level. I think it's a really uh, interesting subtext, that gender dysphoria and, and looking at this from a transgender point of view. Because we know there's someone who listens to the podcast. We'll do a shout out, won't mention your name, you know who you are, mm. who um, really has connected with this song mm. uh, and messaged us on I haven't Twitter. read their message or right. anything. But I, so. I, I think that's really fascinating because it's a song as well. It's, for me, it's probably my favourite lyric on the album because mm. uh, I can relate to it. Uh, I can relate to that thing of, you know, it's the classic boys don't cry. You know, growing up in a household where, in a family, where football was everything and not liking football. And the way that men, and I'm doing men sort of slightly in quotes there, men use things like football and going down the pub and, hey, bounce and all that as a, as a way to avoid talking about feelings. Mm. And, you know, the world would be a better place if men... Men, again in quotes, uh, were slightly more in, in, in touch with a perhaps a, a more feminine energy. Mm. Does that we're make allowed sense? to be, we're allowed to express it because I think, yeah, I think where the my initial take on the song was confused was I thought he was saying he felt more of this feminine, traditionally feminine energy. Mm. And then I was like, but then why are you saying you can't talk and you can't express it? And then it was like, oh, you can't because you think you're not allowed to. Yeah. That's, so you don't do it. That's what it is. Um, if you feel really masculine and you're born into a masculine body, well, good on you. You know, it fits. Mm. But if you don't feel really masculine and then you're born into a masculine body, there's some tension yeah. Yeah, but I don't even think it's that. Again, or feminine, like the other way around yeah, as well. It's well, like if you're yeah. born into a feminine body and you're like, well, I'm not I'm not very traditionally feminine. Yeah. Yes, I know what you're saying, but I think I think at least where H and Helm are coming from with it mm. is sort of saying I and I think having a having a a, a, a an interpretation potentially to do gender dysphoria or, or, or transgender issues or any of that. I think I I think that's that fascinates me because it's like you kind of read it and go, wow, it it could absolutely have been written from that perspective. Yeah, but it was also a song that I, you know, as a cisgender male, um, kind of get you know kind of can connect with it as well. Because mm. um, you feel that you don't fit into the traditional, traditional box. stereotype yeah. of what's considered manly. Yeah. Yeah. And, and I guess, like, same with me. I don't fit in the traditional feminine box, I don't think. I never have. Mm. Um, We're just a couple of weirdos. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So, anyway. Uh, yeah. So, they're, they're, as a song, though. Um, I never liked it, that you'll be surprised to hear, until a couple of years ago, or a couple of Marillion weekends ago, where they played it. And it was one of my highlights of that Marillion weekend. It, the song absolutely connected with me. Wow. Um, 
I always kind of wrote it off as, oh, it's a pop rock kind of the police ripoff. It does sound like the police to me. Mm, um, yeah, now that you say it. Until yeah. until then, um, until that Meridian weekend. And also there was a version of it, the version that was recorded or at least demoed for uh, uh, Afraid of Sunlight that's a lot less rocky. Mm. And I liked that a lot more. I still probably do a bit, you know, if they ever recorded it or ever wanted to play that version, I wouldn't say no. Because mm. it's, it's yeah, it's a bit bit poppier. Yeah. I guess I have to admit the sound of the song isn't my favourite. It's okay. Again, it's okay. I don't hate it. Yeah, I don't hate it. Uh, I like it more than some songs on the album. So, Hope for the Future. A Hogarth lyric. Oh, oh. Is it? Do I just gonna say it? I'm gonna say it. It's considered by many to be Meridian's worst song. No. Yes. Worst. By many, yes. Like worse than Holidays in Eden. By many people, yes. Worse than Drilling Holes. By some people, yes. Worse than If My Heart Were a Ball. Yes. I'd flush it away. Yeah. I really like it. People hate this song. I love this song. People hate I mean, I don't like love, 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 but My I daughter's, do. one of my daughters, is her favourite Marillion song. Really? Mm-hmm. I thought she liked Ocean Cloud. She likes Ocean Cloud as well. But yeah, this was, she used to call it the jungle song. Oh, maybe as a kid it was her favourite. Yeah. Um, I actually, I, I do like it. I don't hate it. I like it. it a lot. I don't hate it. And in fact, I like it, again, more than certain songs on this album. I think it's more interesting because it's doing... It's a, I don't know. It's, it's it's so different. Yeah. I mean, this is what I've written. I wrote, it has a really gorgeous acoustic sound. I love the guitar and the bass on it. Um, and also, I literally have zero idea what it might be about other than perhaps ensuring a better future by learning the lessons from history. But this verse came along and stumped me. Never order even any time, fishing and smiling like a garden gnome. Twisting tails and spinning lines. Why didn't? Why don't we twist like we did last year? <laughs> I was like, fishing and smiling like a garden gnome. First of all, like what? And then how is that linked to why don't we twist like we did last year? I written you know long essays for each of these songs. Yeah. I wrote four words for hope for the future, and those words were haven't got a clue. <laughs> oh man! And there That's I was hoping that you shed written. some light on. Haven't it. got a clue. No idea. Don't really care. Um, I mean, and fishing and smiling like a garden gnome. What? <laughs> what? what? Well, they sometimes could... hold a garden rod. But what, how could that rod. be anything about having hope for the future? Don't know. Don't know. It's all over the place. If stream of consciousness, a bit like this podcast. Oh my god! Yeah. Uh, but it's all right. It's, oh, I love it. People don't like it because they say it's Marillion trying to do a kind of salsa sort of Latin kind of infused song. I think they do it well. Uh, and and it, I remember when H introduced this a few years back at the Meridian Weekend and was almost embarrassed with his, in his introduction. Because no. it's obviously got so much grief over the years. Mm. And I think he introduced it as like, oh, it's the worst Latin song ever written or words to that effect. I can't remember what it was. And I don't think it's that bad. Um, and... Yeah, okay, it's as far as you could possibly get from Forgotten Sons or or Incubus. Yeah. You know, it's a long way from those. 
but I think it's a more interesting song than bloody One Fine Day or 80 Days. It's it's fine. And it's at least it's a bit more sort of cheery and upbeat. Yeah, I think it's good fun. It's fun live. It's upbeat. Yeah, it's Sounds fine. good. It's like, it's a good song. Yeah. Again, not tier, top tier favourite. <laughs> I've really not got a lot to say about it. But, and this yeah. is my trouble okay. with this album as a whole. I don't have a lot to say about any of it. And, you know, we're about to go into the title track, which is 16 minutes long. Yes. And I haven't got masses to say about it. And you've written three words about it. I haven't it. written a lot, no. Uh, and the story for it, yes. this strange engine, yeah. has been well documented on H's podcast. And I don't know if there's much point in us going over it, hugely other than to say... It was a song that he wrote for his dad mm-hmm. uh, and the sacrifices that his dad made. And it's a true story, but it's it's almost like a kind of very linear um, collection of memories tying in with the concept, not concept, concept of the album. Yeah. Um, and it, it, it feels like a precursor to the song Montreal, where H really just literally sings his diary in a, in a way. I can hear what you mean by that. So, look, okay, I'm just going to ask you, do you like it? Yes, I do. I do like it. Given that this is your toilet break song. It's okay. We have had this misunderstanding stretch back for years now. Is it or is it not your toilet break song? No, the only reason I go is because I can hear it perfectly well from the bathroom. I only go for a toilet break when and, I'm happy not to hear it perfectly well. Well, no, but I can hear it perfectly well and then I'm back in time for my favourite bit, which is the the second half. Okay. I love the second half. Love it. The first half is nice. It's gorgeous. But the second half is amazing. Yeah. And really special. So I... it's not it's not a toilet break song per se. Mm. It's I wanna be able to enjoy it fully. <laughs> <So>. <laughs> well, yeah, it's got one of the Rothers' best solos on there. It's a song that it's hard to kind of for us to do it justice because it it is, as uh, H said at the time, um, oh, sometimes it's fun to do that a bit retro-progressive, he sneered. Um, <laughs> what does retro progressive mean? Well, like old school progressive, as opposed to going, oh, here's a Latin song. Oh, I yeah, see. Like it or lump it, you bunch of prog loving weirdos. It's a song that has a lot of kind of classic Marillion sounds in there. Uh, it's mm, also a song yeah. that <sighs> I think this set out a template for what Marillion do best. I think they, it, without this song, we wouldn't have got stuff like The Invisible Man, New Kings, The Leavers, all those Ocean Cloud, those Marillion epics that they do so bloody well with tons of atmosphere um, while still being melodic, while mm-hmm. not really sounding like anyone else other than Marillion. The, you know, this is the song that set that template, which, of course, they then subsequently ignored for the next three albums until Marbles came out and they returned to it. And yes, do I like it? I love it. It's probably, okay, equally my favourite track on the album with Man of a Thousand Faces. But I have an issue with it being on this album. Because you don't think it fits with the other songs? or 
I can it see comes, how it fits the theme, like the it theme. It fits of, the theme of memory. Yeah, and leaving your loved ones behind, not being with them, but still having that love for them. My my issue with it, right, isn't the song itself. It's again comes back to where Marillion were at at the time, and their, I don't know, the mixed messages fans were getting, frankly, because as well on the original version of this song. The, on when you looked at the the track lengths, it was thirty minutes because after the sixteen minute mark or whenever it finished, there was then you know approximately another fourteen minutes of silence until you got this piano bit with a drunk H, which apparently this is what it, when it was recorded H was drunk and laughing. Oh, the laughing! The and oh, the laughing! And it was a it was a. Firstly, right, if you were making a mix CD, it buggered it up. You couldn't put this strange engine on there because it would take up half an hour of the freaking CD. Okay, so you couldn't make a compilation CD with with that on there. Those 15 minutes were pointless. But on top of that, they'd done it as a kind of... I suppose they saw it as a joke. But the joke was, ah, you think you're getting a half an hour song? You're not! Um, I don't think they would have done it with that kind of attitude. Well, okay, Uh, there is a quote from Mark, and I can't remember when this dates from, about how fans sometimes are more about the the quantity than the quality. Okay, which I don't deny. But there are a lot of kind of quotes from that time where Marillion were running scared of the fact that they were Marillion. You know, quotes about that they should have changed their name when H joined. Mm-hmm. And and yet then, on an album of mostly mediocre, middle-of-the-road, ploddy rock songs, the best bloody song on there is the proggy... One and that's not because it's sixteen minutes long. It's because it's the best, most sort of innovative track on there. The one that that showcases what they do best. And yet, yes, they played it live. Of course they did. Yeah, you know, of course because it. It you know even they must have realised this is a bloody classic. But it was mixed messages because then the rest of the the album wasn't like that. It's like who the freaking hell were they at this point but maybe the mixed messages were also them being pulled into two different directions they'd made brave like this super proggy album and instead of soaring to massive success they lost fans so it's like well what do you guys want do you want prog okay we'll give you more poppy sounds and then the the, afraid of sunlight didn't do that well so then it's like oh you know, they're trying to second guess what people are going to want and what's going to get them success and what's going to make the record companies happy. And so it's not necessarily that they are kind of going, ha ha, you thought you were getting a 30 minute song, but you're not because we don't want to do it. It's like, we want to do this kind of music, but we don't know if you guys, we don't don't know know. if you guys are going to buy it. I don't think they did at this point. I don't think they were interested in doing prog at this point. Yes, we got this strange engine. Which, again, fair enough. If they want to explore other styles of music, they can. Well, yeah, of course they can. They can can explore whatever they want. And exploration sometimes leads to really great discoveries. Which it ultimately did with Marillion. Yeah. Yeah, the next two albums get even more experimental. 
in terms of them pushing their sound and and moving further away from what they they once did uh but i think it came at a cost for them and it, it yeah it wasn't until marbles that that fans perhaps a bit with anarachophobia but it wasn't until then that Marillion, you know you can effectively chart from the point that h joined and i'm not blaming h for this at all but all right you could say from the point at which fish left you know if you had a graph we're on a downward trajectory until we get to probably anarachophobia where it picks up a bit then we get some marbles and it shoots up mm-hmm. um and so those experiments were coming at a cost. And as I sort of said last week, this was the first Marillion album that I went, shit, mm. uh, I've lost them. But what were they meant to do with every album? Like you loved Afraid of Sunlight, you loved Brave, and yet they weren't doing very well. And their record companies, their rec- the labels, weren't supporting them. They were supporting them less and less and less. Mm. Of course they were flailing. They probably felt like they were drowning and the experimentation is the equivalent of them splashing around in the water trying to tread water and stay afloat. Yeah. They're not swimming strongly because they haven't got that support underneath them. Yeah, I agree. And uh, and that flailing feels there in the next two albums. Mm. I actually think saying that, sorry, spoilers for the next two uh, albums that we cover, I think Radiation and .com are more interesting albums than this Strange Engine. I'm not saying they're necessarily better, but I think they're more interesting and I'm looking forward to talking about those more. Oh, so Um, does that mean that shows that there was some positives to the experimentation then? Well, in what way? If you're finding the albums more interesting. I never said better. I never said better. But you did say more interesting. (laughs) Yeah, At least they weren't boring. I haven't even listened to them yet. So I, I, I could be eating my words in a couple yeah, of weeks' time. I didn't time. say necessarily better, but yeah, they're um, more interesting. But look, I'm sick of this strange engine. <laughs> Not the song of this bloody album. I, this whole, uh, you know, anyone who's been listening to this podcast long term will know how much I love Marillion. And I hate, have hated not feeling enthused about this album. I love the two bookends. I can see why people love Estonia. I just find it such a beige album. Mm. It's the cover shouldn't have been brown. It should have been beige. Wow. I just find it so middle of the road, mm. um, with the exception of, of the title track and Man of a Thousand Faces. The title track is Marillion at that absolute pinnacle. Yes, okay, it's ooh, retro prog. Um, but it's also not because it doesn't sound like those old bands. It doesn't sound like the 70s bands. It sounds like what Marillion would go on to do, which would be to redefine that kind of progressive sound. So they became, in a way, yes, they became a pioneer in lots of ways, you know, which we'll get to when we talk crowdfunding and the like. They were pioneers in that way, but but they are also pioneers of a certain type of prog rock. What they're not is pioneers in adult orientated middle of the road bloody rock songs, which is what the majority of the this strange engine album is. 
they weren't pushing that genre at all. They were just playing in it. Playing it safe. Yeah, my God, it's a safe album. It's a safe album. And I mean, okay, my own personal perspective, I like it. I don't dislike it. I think it's it's a good album. None of it it's is not, bad. Yeah, none, none of, it, of it is none bad. None of it is bad. I mean, you know, if we think back to Seasons End and Holidays in Eden, there were songs in there that I didn't, really didn't like that much. There's nothing on here I dislike. And there's nothing on here that I dislike. But God, so it's boring. In, in, I, I don't find it boring either. I don't super love it. It's not an album that really stays with you. It's an album of musical wallpaper. It doesn't get it's under wallpaper. it doesn't get under your skin like Brave or Misplaced Childhood. It's remote but... Yeah, it's remote lyrically and it's dull musically for the most part, but eighty percent of it is like that. Wow. <laughs> Sorry, wow. I just think it was a misstep. And they nearly lost me as a fan. No way. Yeah. And yeah, what was the one thing that kept me holding on? This strange engine. Yeah. The title track. I didn't know it was that dire. It's not. People love it. It's, it's you know, people in the wider Meridian fandom rate this album. But I wonder how much of that is down to maybe three songs on it and the rest of it. Surely, you know, no one, well, we know for a fact no one rates Hope for the Future or very few people. One fine hey. day, I refuse to believe, apart from you, and I don't dislike it. Um, I'm talking about the rest of the fandom. One Fine Day, I Refuse to Believe, is anyone's favourite song. 80 Days, <laughs> yeah. eighty days, as as H himself said from the stage at Meridian Weekend a while ago, they wrote a song from the fans and all the fans hated it. <laughs> oh, no. Estonia, I know a lot of people like and it means a lot to a lot of people. For me, it just washes over me, ironically. Then Accidental Man, I didn't like until a few years ago live. Still find it dull on the album, but the live, it, it, it's got something a bit more. Hope for the future, yeah. Tarzan, then this strange engine. So I don't know. Mm. I don't know. I'm so I'm really sorry to be a downer on it. I never wanted to do that on this podcast, but I can't help it. I'm just trying to be honest. Yeah, fair enough. So, uh, where are we going next on that bombshell of an episode? <laughs> uh, I believe you've got an interview lined up. I've got an interview lined up. Episode. That might be our next episode. We would like to do another post bag app. So if we've you can got write a few letters us, already. Good. So if you want to write to us about this strange engine, or in fact anything, it would be nice not to just kind of read out 20 letters of people listing the tracks and what they think of each one. Um, any interesting stories about Meridian, particularly in the 90s and the, the burgeoning fandom, uh, you can email us, beampod at gmail.com. Um, spread the word about us that'd be great so find us on sorry I've got thrown and I don't know why uh, find us on Facebook and Twitter Beampod at Beampod <laughs> uh, this is a really weird outro you got low blood sugar oh no have you had lunch yeah oh yeah you did um, and yes something else we're going to talk about next probably got an interview Probably got a letters page. And then I want to talk about crowdfunding. Before we get into... Radiation. Radiation. Radiation will be the next album we cover. But prior to that, something massive happened that changed the entire course Ooh. of Marillion's history. Oh, that's good. Yeah.
in it. All right. All right, everyone. Sorry if this has been a chaotic episode. Yeah, I felt it was chaotic to record. It felt chaotic. But that's not the album's fault. Where it is. <laughs> Just blame the Trying album. to find how to express. Yeah. It's a, yeah. It. Oh, I'm gonna, I'm gonna shut up. Look, okay, you know where I stand now on this strange engine, so I'm gonna never mention I'm it again. I'm so shocked. All right, uh, we'll talk to you next week for whatever next week's episode is about. Uh, oh yeah, support us on Patreon if you want for bonus eps and getting episodes early. Patreon.com/slash Mr Biffo M R B I W F O. Load of other stuff on there that um, that you should probably just ignore. Okay, everyone, uh, we'll be back next week. <laughs>